Hello, my name is Nick Spasic, and you're listening to From and Inspired By, a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we speak with composer Jackson Greenberg about his viral success with the theme song for the Netflix series Explained, as well as his work on the FX Hulu documentary, aka Jane Roe. Composer Jackson Greenberg's theme song for Netflix's hit docuseries Explained went viral earlier this year, quickly becoming a cultural phenomenon and taking on a life of its own. It's a bop and a half, and we discussed its unusual rise to fame with the musician, as well as his work on the FX Hulu documentary, aka Jane Roe, and other reality projects earlier this year. so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me i do appreciate it yeah thanks for having me you're you're having a busy season (laughs) yeah it feels like it's been uh it's been kind of that way for the last year or so just kind of non-stop um like what what i find it what i find really crazy is like it's been a really long time since like a theme song has gotten popular like to any sort of show like i mean i i mean it happens here and there i mean i think the last one i can really remember is the big bang theory and i mean that show's been off the air for a year now and it started god you know 10 or 12 years ago so it's been a minute um also that song had like you know that band already had a crazy following and had vocals i i feel like the succession theme song 
is has mm. been doing really well. True, true. I always forget about video game themes as well. Like those are like I always forget like those end up getting or also like I'm not an anime person, so like I know that like those are very big, but totally outside of my wheelhouse. Yeah. Like I'm just looking on Spotify right now, like that succession theme has like three million plays. <laughs> I, I love that theme song. I think it's awesome. <laughs> Like, um, like, how did you get uh, connected with Explained? Like, I know you've done a lot of work in, like, documentaries and reality series uh, in the past. So, like, how yeah. did how did how did you come to work on it? Uh, Explained? Yeah, I, I, you know, I had already done a lot of work for Netflix. Um, but interestingly, this didn't come from Netflix. It came from uh, a good friend of mine named John Natchez, who is another amazing composer. Um who also happens to be the saxophonist in one of my favorite bands, The War on Drugs, and oh. he toured with LCD Sound System. Um, and he was really good friends with this guy, Joe uh, Posner, who uh, created, you know, works for Vox and created the Explained series for Netflix. And Joe reached out for him asking if he had any ideas for the theme song. And John um, just happened to be on tour uh, in like the middle of Asia or something. And, um, we're really good friends and really respect each other's work. So because he couldn't do it, I was his first phone call. And, um, so I kind of owe it all to him. And, and it just, you know, one of those things where the right piece of music clicked with the, the right people and just kind of took off from there. No, um, what I'm kind of curious about is like, uh, when, when you're composing like the theme song for the show, do they show you, like rough cuts of some of the episodes or like what that title sequence will look at to give you an idea or do they just like here's the sound we're looking for i wish and i wish it you know <laughs> in some cases it's uh i always try to compose as much away from picture at like the beginning of a project i learned that from like a howard shore master class mm. that i was lucky enough to sit in on when i was 19 but he basically says that you know, his first thing on any project is to watch the movie without any music. And then he goes into his studio and just writes music away and doesn't look at the screen or doesn't look at anything. He just wants to capture like his initial ideas. Um, and I guess this was, I was kind of forced into a similar situation with this because they didn't have any title sequences to look at. Um, and they didn't have any musical references, which, you know, a lot of the times like composers complain about listening to temp and um, but in this case, it was challenging because they were just like, we want it to sound like a traditional news theme, like from oh. the 70s or 80s that, you know, was like you people recognize as like this is news, but we also want it to feel completely modern and new. So it was like trying to figure out how to capture the feeling of, of that kind of like what it means to be like delivering information with uh, like what it, something, some sort of modern aesthetic. And I don't know, I didn't. I kind of heard that when they pitched it to me in terms of what they were saying. And uh, I was like, well, I don't understand what that means at all. And it wasn't <laughs> like I was like, oh, well, that means I should use this instrument and use that. And my way into most of these projects is to just pick up an instrument that's in my studio and start playing around and kind of let it go from there. And I think this one was started with the hi-hat. You know, I just had my drums in my studio. And I think at the time they weren't mic'd to record as a full set so i just put the microphone on the hi-hat and started started playing and i was like oh that that feels kind of like 70s shaft 
esque, you know, like kind of wah wah guitar, but on hi hat, and just started building things off of there. I think I, you know, had sent them a couple options, and that was the one that really stuck. I just find I, I find it so fascinating, like because like I have talked to so many composers over the years about like the terror of the temp track and like how hard it is to overcome that. And I can only imagine that it's it's got to be like somewhat freeing, but also like a little like working without a net sort of situation to to not have any sort of like this is what we want it to sound like in terms of like a concrete listenable example. Well, especially in that context, right? Because it's like, I don't know. It wasn't like I was like handed a chunk of money and they were like, we want Jackson Greenberg to compose. You know, they were like doing it. It was, it was more like, I think how they look for music for commercials where they're just collecting a lot of music and hoping that they like something and you're not really getting paid up front. Um, so it was like, I didn't really spend that much time on it. I was like, Oh, this would be fun. And then I just kind of, I think in that case it was kind of liberating because you know, you're just, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to have some fun with this and see what happens. And, you know, if I don't hit it, I don't hit it. I, I think I was working on another TV series at the time anyways. And it just felt like a fun challenge, probably a way to procrastinate from doing the other work that I was supposed to be doing. But on this most recent project that I'm finishing right now, I didn't, I didn't listen to one piece of tent music at all. And it's a, a feature length narrative documentary, you know, um, which was the first, I think probably the first time I've done that in my career on a film. Wow. Which was really interesting. I love your career because like you have like so many documentaries, but you also have uh like some like documentaries that are like reality television-y type stuff. Yeah. Um, and it seems like the, the, the thing about like documentary television or reality television is that especially the latter is that it always seems to like walk this line between being like, you know, telling a, like a serious story, but also having like a, a sense of humor about it, you know, yeah. like a, laughing with, as opposed to laughing at, but I mean, there's still like, definitely like, Oh my God. It, and like, how do you like when you're, when you're having to like compose for, uh documentaries and things like that like how much how difficult is it like to to like walk the fine line between like overly playing with people's emotions and like really like and also just like trying to emphasize the story yeah i mean i think that's the biggest challenge in documentary and that's the thing that i still find like really challenging in a good way and like fascinating keeps me really engaged is like trying to see how far I can push to the limits uh, musically without making people feel like they're being manipulated. And I think that in documentary, it's a huge challenge because, you know, people the, from an audience perspective, they know that the story is real. They know. So if someone's speaking about a realistic struggle, you want the music to kind of emphasize what they're speaking about. But the second someone thinks like, oh, that music sounds sad and this person's telling a sad story, it kind of I think in some ways takes away from what they're saying because they're like, well, this is real. This person's speaking about it being sad. Like, why do I need, it must not be that sad if they also need sad music to make me feel sad. You know? <laughs> so I, it's different on every project. I think a lot of it depends on like what the aesthetic of the show is. Um, I think, you know, on cartel land, the director and I had a lot of conversations about how he wanted it to feel like a 
feature film. You wanted it to be as immersive as like, you know, Sicario was a big uh, reference at that point. And these different films about drug cartels where just because it was a, you know, there, there were very few interviews with, with people in chairs in that movie. It was very like real footage telling, and the same with city of ghosts, his next movie. Um, and then I think in TV, it's, it's different. A lot of, a lot of that, you know, a lot of the TV work I think really depends on like what type of show that they're trying to make, you know, like with dating around on Netflix, it was very much like we're making a reality dating show. But if you look at the way that it was shot and the directors they hired, it was like people that had worked on, you know, chef's table and these other series where it was trying to present modern dating in New York city in a way that like really captured this like beautiful aspect of like a vibrant, you know, metropolis as opposed to like, let's laugh at these people or <laughs> let's, you know, make fun of these people or let's envy these people. It was just trying, you know, so it kind of felt more like a, a film in that sense of, um, we're just, we're telling these stories that are taking place in the city as opposed to like trying to set up some sort of formula that can work across multiple episodes and multiple seasons. How do you navigate, um, composing for a documentary that's on a, a like a musical subject um there's there's the don't try to understand uh documentary about dmx and i know you're working on one about mary j blige as well so yeah. like how do you have to like really work within the music that they're talking about and like figure out ways to complement that as opposed to like just composing a score that would otherwise stand on its own no i think i lean even more into the latter of like you know i'm both of those musicians like have made masterpieces of records and i think it would be like it wouldn't be in my best interest to say like i i as like a you know a film composer raised jewish film composer raised in the suburbs of philadelphia <laughs> could you know step up and like produce hip hop beats in the next five to six weeks. And really we're talking about shorter time than that, right? Because like the first, the first cue needs to be turned around and approved at the end of a week. If you're going to have any shot of, you know, hitting your deadline at the end of the score. So it's like me trying to sit here and make like a hip hop beat in a week <laughs> and, you know, stand up to those records that were made across 10, 12, 24 months of like by like the best hip hop producers in the world. Um, I've, you know, I've said no to projects in the past where we're like, okay, well now we're, there's an episode where we go to China and we need Chinese music. And so when I approached, when I, I just finished the DMX movie and I'm starting in Mary J. Blige now, I look at it, I think maybe out of fear, but also out of like what I know my skill set is, is that like, I, I know how to capture some sort of emotion in music in a way that feels authentic to myself as a composer. And I think it, the way that I've kind of convinced myself is that it almost benefits the film more if the music is completely different from the music that these people are talking about. You know, I think just from my own personal wants and I think if I went to see a movie about the Beatles and there was a, they hired a film composer to do a score <laughs> and he was trying to sound like the Beatles, I would probably sit there thinking like, why didn't they just license a Beatles song you know why didn't they just use an instrumental of a Beatles track to to do this but if all of a sudden you know the score was using like a solo cello and 
a vibraphone or something that was like completely different and maybe tried to capture aspects of the story creatively and emotionally that was different I, I that would be more appealing to me as an audience member so i think that's the perspective that i've taken on both of those scores like on the dmx score we ended up doing like a very electronic john carpenter-esque thing with like elements nice. of ennio morricone like western you know because there was a lot of themes in the movie about how much he was kind of this maverick cowboy of his generation of of hip-hop artists so i try and find my way in completely completely differently from them. So I'm not stepping on their toes and also maybe like helping the emotional context of the story by doing something different musically that feels different from the parts of the documentary where they're talking about their own music and playing their own music. Your, your most recent thing that you've had come out is AKA Jane Rowe, the, the FX documentary um, about uh, Jane row um i think uh pretty much everybody knows what that one's about at this point because like that has made some serious news um just because of yeah, the revelations uh uh from norma mccorvey in in the film like i mean you know like that's like the big selling point like she calls it her her deathbed confession um like it's a very like that's a very like tough story like there's a lot going on like what were what were the particular challenges for you working on this project not only like the emotional aspects of it but just like sort of did you have like an inkling in the back of your mind like that this was kind of going to be uh i guess for lack of a better term newsworthy i mean i think every project especially a documentary that you work on. It's like the, the filmmakers are so passionate about the stories that they're trying to tell, you know, it takes, it takes a long time to make a documentary. Mm -hmm. And I think as a composer, part of your job in documentaries is, is this thinking about and relating to that passion of the filmmaker. And I think that, you know, you hope that at some point the documentary will inspire some sort of conversation or, you know, just for your own sake as a composer, but also I think, because you believe in the filmmaker and the process. But for me, the biggest challenge on that was, and I think you're seeing Nick, the director, take a little bit of criticism for this, is that he really just wanted to tell the story of this woman who was kind of looked over because of this court case that she was involved in. Like, no one ever had really stopped to consider, like, the human consequences to her life, you know, because she was involved in this issue that was so much bigger than her. And so I think in the beginning, it was in terms of finding the tone of the movie, it was okay, like, we need to keep remembering that although, you know, we're talking about things that have a, a national impact, and that are really um, a part of the national political conversation, like we need to figure out a way musically to ground people in this personal story. And so there are a lot of times where, you know, I would write a piece of music and, um, it just was hard to capture that tone of like, okay, just reminding ourselves that we were trying to tell her story and capture her emotions and her perspective as opposed to everyone around her, which I think like the film and then the score both were dealing with similar challenges. I can definitely see that. Um, so what, uh, you, you mentioned that you're just finishing something up. Uh, what other projects do you have in the work? Like I know that like everybody's, sort of in limbo right now <laughs> yeah no i've been really lucky like work, 
track work has actually been pretty steady. Uh, I feel very grateful. I, you know, the DMX project was supposed to go to Tribeca and was really excited about that and sad that that didn't happen. Um, but I'm excited for people to see that that movie is crazy. Like it's, I sat down and watched it for the first time and didn't really understand what was going on until about two thirds of the way through the movie. It's not told in a traditional music documentary way. It's kind of, you just follow him along on his most recent tour and get kind of caught up into the whirlwind that is his life. Um, another project that I finished recently that I'm really excited about just because it's so personal to me as being from Philadelphia is a movie called Maybe Next Year, um, which was actually, they just partnered with the, with NFL Films, these independent filmmakers. Um, kind of follows four, like, down on their luck, um, rougher in, in, you know, demeanor uh, Philadelphia Eagles fans who are like going through the ups and downs of their first Super Bowl season and I think the best pitch for that movie is it's kind of like a silver linings playbook but in documentary form <laughs> it's a beautiful film and as being from Philadelphia that was really exciting to me they had the whole movie tempt with uh, like Friday Night Lights style like explosions in the sky electric guitars that I think everyone associates with you know football at this point and I've pitched them on trying to achieve that sound but through instruments that were like more grounded in Philadelphia so I wound up doing kind of a whole ambient score with uh, saxophone and harmonica like reminiscent of Springsteen etc so that yeah. was I'm really excited for people to hear that one um, but yeah there's a lot of things coming up a lot of things in the works uh, what's the best way for folks to find you? Well, all my projects and contact information and um, and stuff is on my website at jacksongreenberg.com. Um, just put out the with, through uh, Parma Records the vinyl of my first kind of solo EP, which has an orchestral piece with the Slovakian National Symphony and then another little chamber piece. Um, so that's everything's on my website there. And then, um, you know, the scores that I think I'm most proud of that stand alone and some other stuff, some other solo music is available on Spotify and Apple music and other places. But yeah, if anyone's interested, they reach out through my website. I'm pretty good with responding to email. Wonderful. Well, Hey Jackson, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. This has been, uh, quite a conversation. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hopefully I didn't ramble too much. It's always fun to talk about your work and music.
Thanks to Jackson Greenberg for talking with me. His new album, Voice Notes 2017 to 2019, is out now. You can find his website at jacksongreenberg.com, which has links to all his social media accounts on which he is quite prolific. You can find links to purchase all of the music you heard on the show in the show notes for this episode, which are at fromaninspiredby.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at FromInspiredPod, and can be found on Instagram at FromAndInspiredBy. You can subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Click those follow and subscribe buttons, please. Also, please hit up the website and click on the Aid and Assistance button to help pay for web hosting and long-distance fees, and remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. We'll be back in two weeks talking with Ardek of Dutch symphonic metal band Karak Angren about their latest album, Frankensteiner Stratomanus. Until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>